Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 30 Red The four of them were so lost in the fire dance that they didn't notice that there was a strange naked man bopping along with them. Twice today I hadn't had the lawnmower on my hip when I wanted it, so I had made sure I brought it with me on this walk. I drew it and advanced slowly. As I got closer, I could plainly see that the interloper was without a stitch of clothes on, which, on the plus side, meant he was definitely unarmed. I lowered my guard a bit and jogged the last stretch of beach until I was just outside the moat the dancers had made in the sand. Still, none of them noticed me. The stranger was as absorbed in the dance as the rest of them. His straight red hair flew around like a 60s go-go dancer. If I had seen him clothed and from the back, I might have said he was a woman, but in the firelight there was no avoiding his gender. He was dancing behind Tawn, and I was struck at how similarly they were built, except for the stranger's arms. They would have put a post-spinach Popeye to shame. I waited until Raph came by and grabbed his arm to pull him out of the circle. Instead, he pulled me in. I had forgotten just how solid that guy is, and I almost fell into the fire. Anyway, I got his attention. He looked at me confused, like a sleepwalker that had just found himself in a hallway of a hotel. Look, I said, pointing at the other dancers. Araph was still out of it and tilted his head like a dog being taught algebra. Intruder alert, I shouted, pointing at the new member of our dance troupe. He saw him and snapped into action. He leapt over the edge of the fire, something I would never do without clothes on, and grabbed his banta stick. This startled Turlow enough for him to notice that we were not alone. Turlow had the good sense to throw his clothes on. I grabbed a blanket and wrapped it around a raft. Turlow came up next to us, holding his banshee blade. Tawn was still completely oblivious. Who is he? Turlow asked. I don't know. You were dancing with him. You tell me. We watched as the stranger and Tawn spun and danced around the dwindling fire. Tawn sailed past us in his own little world when the stranger, right behind him, turned and gave us a little chest-high wave. On the next pass, we grabbed Tawn and made him see who his dance partner was. At first he looked shocked, and then he dropped onto all fours and turned into his wolfhound. The stranger kept dancing and spinning like he owned the place. When he came by again, wolfhound Tawn stuck his nose in for a sniff, and our visitor stopped and gave him a little pat on the head like he was casually walking in the park. Excuse me, I started to say, but the naked stranger just danced away. We all looked at each other. On his next pass, I tried again, but was again ignored. On the third pass, I stepped in front of him. My sword wasn't pointing at him, but then again, it wasn't in its scabbard. He had to stop, and he did. Excuse me, I repeated. This is our fire. He looked at me. I... Still couldn't see his eyes in the light. He tilted his head, just like Araft did minutes before, and said, You own fire? How does that work? Now it was my turn to be confused. 
Well, we made the fire. So you think if you make something, then you own it? He smiled a toothy grin and shook his head. I've known many a parent who thought that. They were usually disappointed. Then he turned and danced around in the other direction. Ton returned to puka form and the dancer came around again. A puka that would rather shiver in his skin than stay in his fur. He pushed past me and we waited for his next lap. A banshee in the cover of a hothi. He then put his hand on Araf's head as if to measure him. I see an imp. He grabbed Araf's hand and looked at it, with no dirt under his fingernails. He spun off again. This guy was really starting to annoy me. I tried to speak to him when he came around again, but he put his hand in front of my face to stop me. I wanted to chop that hand off. I wanted to tell him that I'd chopped a hand off before. He stood inches in front of Brendan and looked him up and down. I don't think I've ever seen a druid look so confused. Who are you? I demanded. He finally gave me the once-over. A fairy. Is it hard for you, fairy, being so far away from your mountain of gold? Who are you? Who am I? He said indignantly. A banshee and an imp and a druid and a fairy and a puka are dancing naked in the brownie lands without a brownie in sight? And you ask, who am I? Who are you? Um, I'm Connor of... He dashed into the night and came back roughly dragging the boat that Ton had almost finished assembling. Sailors, are we? Ton grabbed the boat from him and half the flimsy frame popped out from the oiled leather skin. And where are the sailors sailing to? I didn't think that telling him our plans was a good idea, but Brendan answered him. We're going to the Isle of the Red Eel. And where is that? Brendan pointed out to sea. Red Eel Isle, is that what you call it? What would you call it? I asked. Why would I call an island? Do you think it would come? He cackled and walked over to where our bags were piled together and started looking through them. Turlo ran over and stuck his sword in his face. Leave our possessions alone, he demanded. The stranger simply ignored him and continued to look through our stuff. Why? If you plan on sailing to Red Eel Island in that boat, you won't be needing your things. And it'll be easier for me to scavenge your things here than when they're on the bottom of the ocean. Leave our bags alone, Turlo repeated, poking the scavenger with his banshee blade. He stopped. No matter. I'll come back and take them when you're dead. I'm off home now. I know when I'm not welcome. Thank you for the dance. He stopped with a faraway look and said, It's been a long time since I've had a dance. Where is home? Araf asked. As I have said, when Araf speaks, people listen. Even though our stranger had only just met the taciturn imp, it worked on him, too. He turned and said, Red Eel Island. If you'd been nicer, I would have given you all a trip in my boat. Then he ran naked into the black night. I turned to the others. They all had their mouths open, too. I pointed to the spot in the darkness that our visitor had disappeared into. My agent, ladies and gentlemen. I got a chuckle from Brendan. As I've said, it's good to have him around. Who was that? Brendan asked the knight. What was that? Ton replied. 
Whoever it was, I think we should keep watch tonight. I will take the first shift. I didn't argue. I got my stuff off my drying rack, and within minutes I was inside my warm, dry sleeping roll. Brendan followed me. As he got into bed, I asked him, What'd you think of insane guy? Well, he said, I think he was crazy, all right, but I wouldn't say he was insane. I laughed. You said that about me once, if I recall. And I was right, Brendan said. I got the feeling that our dancer tonight tried a little too hard to be crazy. Saying that, he did say one thing that I agree with. What was that? We really are going to drown in that dinghy tomorrow. I was the last up the next morning. Ton was still working on the boat. Every time he got the skin stretched over part of the frame on one side, the other side would pop out. Araf was off scavenging for driftwood, Brendan was cooking breakfast, and Turlo was tending to the horses. I felt a bit guilty doing nothing, so I grabbed a brush and joined the banshee. Since Turlo was brushing acorn, I started working on his horse. You know, I said, I don't know your horse's name. Banshees do not name their horses. Why not? It makes it easier in case you have to eat them. Oh, don't listen to him, I said, covering the mount's ears. I won't let him eat you, and I'm going to give you a name. I dub you Fluffy. There. No one would ever eat a horse called Fluffy. You are a strange man, Connor of Dor. But lovable, don't you think? Brendan called us to breakfast. Araf was sitting by the fire examining a piece of wood. He didn't seem to notice me when I said good morning. You okay, big guy? You, he said. Me? What me? He still didn't look up. No, you. You who? Me? Who? Who's on first? He finally looked at me with an exasperated face that is usually reserved for my closer relatives. The wood, he said, holding up a branch in his hand. It's you, Wood. Oh, you, who? I shrugged. So? Most of the wood in the driftwood pile is made from you. Raph handed me a piece that was in his hand. And look. I saw it right away. I didn't need to be a forensic expert to see that plainly there were axe marks in the bark. This ain't wood from the U-lands that I've been in, I said. There's no way you could chop down one of those babies. You'd be dead by the end of the backswing. Araf nodded in agreement. Could they have come from another island? Connor, today I am going to leave the shores of the land in a boat. It will be the first time in my life. It'll probably be your last. Have you seen the boat? I got that look again. What I mean to say is, I have no idea what is beyond the beaches of Tirnanog. It is ready, Ton said, trudging back to the fire. And I'm ready for one last meal, and then we can go. One last meal, I said. I don't like the sound of that. No, not one last meal. One meal before we drowned? Fairy, 
Turlow said, addressing me. Has anyone ever told you that your attempts of humor can often be annoying? Yes, often. We ate in silence. Fish for breakfast isn't my idea of a perfect last meal, but I couldn't see a waffle house anywhere nearby. The morning mist was clearing with a not-too-chilling offshore breeze. As we ate, a dark shape became visible out to sea. Radial Isle. It didn't look too far, but I had a little experience sailing. Once Dad and I went to the New Jersey shore with a school friend. Dad refused to step into the boat, but I loved it. I remembered that on water, things were usually further away than they looked. We decided that the less weight we carry in the boat, the better. A raft dug a hole in the sand, and we wrapped what we weren't going to bring in blankets and buried them in the dune. Ton placed the athru that was hanging around his neck into his mouth and whispered to the horses. What did you tell him? I asked. I told them to wait here for as long as they could forage, and if we don't return, then to make their way back to the Pinelands. I gave Acorn a rough rub on the nose the way he likes it and said, You take good care of yourself, you hear? I swear he glanced over my shoulder to the boat and then stared at me with eyes that said, I'm not the one you should be worried about. A raft threw a disc into the fire and it went out fast, like somebody had just put a glass dome over it. Then he reached into the ash and charred wood and dug out the fire coin. I missed the heat of the fire instantly. I looked at the surf rolling onto the beach, the island far out at sea. I felt the cold, salty breeze on my face and a shiver ran down my back. I whispered to myself, Dad, you better appreciate this. I'm sure that everyone realized it was a bad idea as soon as we tried to get into the boat. This thing was made for a calm lake. It was not an ocean-going vessel. Ton kept telling us to make sure we stepped on the big pieces of wood that made up the frame, and to, under no circumstances, step on the skin or we'd put our feet through it. If that wasn't unreassuring enough, the boat was as stable as a beach ball. Ton tipped it, trying to get in. We finally figured out that the only way to board the damn thing was in pairs, one on each side to balance out the weight. But when we did that, the frame bent so badly that we were sure we were going to break it. Turlow and I were the last in, and we had to wade into freezing cold, waist-deep water to get the thing off the sandy bottom. We were only seconds aboard when the first wave hit us. I wasn't ready for it. I bounced around and hit the skin of the boat hard with my fist, but luckily I didn't puncture it. The others grabbed oars and paddled. The ship came with two oars, and a raft this morning had fashioned another two out of driftwood. We survived the next two breakers. The surf hadn't looked this rough from the shore, but now that we were on the water, we were really getting tossed around. The fourth wave did us in. The bow raised like it had for the other waves, but then it just kept on going. It went straight up and tossed us out the stern. I had my tent on my back, and when I hit the water, it dragged me straight down. The water was so cold, it only took a nanosecond to become numb all over. It was like a full body shot of Novocaine. I untangled my backpack from my shoulders and then forced my way to the surface. I got my head above water just in time to get creamed by another wave that spun me underwater like I was in a washing machine.
The next time I reached the surface, I spotted Brendan and a raft sputtering off to my left. Are you okay? I shouted over to him. Brendan shouted back. I think so. Araf looked a bit panicky. I'd never seen him panicky. I looked around. The boat was upright and seemed to be doing just fine sailing out to the aisle without us. I couldn't see anybody else. Where's Turlow and Tawn? Just as I said that, Turlow surfaced, gasping for dear life. I lost my saddlebag, he gulped. He dived down again, only to pop up seconds later, even more in a panic. I can't see anything. I have to... A wave came and knocked him over. He resurfaced and coughed. Turlow was not a natural swimmer. Just then, a sea lion wearing the remains of Tawn's shirt came up underneath Turlow and pushed him towards the shore. I started swimming, and it wasn't long before there was sand under my feet. I turned back and saw Brendan was using a lifeguard's hold on a raft, dragging him to safety. I waded back in and helped them. Turlow and the now half-naked Tawn were in front of us. The five of us limped back and collapsed, shivering on the edge of the surf. You just can't beat a day at the beach, I said while sputtering out a mouthful of sand. Is everybody all right? I didn't hear the reply. What I did hear was a familiar voice shouting, Yoo-hoo! Could you boys use a nice warm fire? I looked up. I almost didn't recognize him with his clothes on. There, straight ahead, standing next to our campfire that was now fully ablaze, was the strange red-headed man from the night before. I can't honestly say I was happy to see him, but that fire looked like the nicest thing I had ever seen in my life. We all dragged ourselves off the sand. My frozen joints moved like door hinges that had been without grease for 20 years. We crouched by the fire, trying desperately to get some circulation back in our extremities. Thank you for rebuilding our fire. I knew that you would need it if any of you survived drowning, he said. I wasn't expecting all of you to make it, though. I guess I'll have to give your stuff back. He walked over to the other side of the fire and came back with blankets and extra clothes that we had buried in the dunes. All of us were too grateful at seeing a dry set of clothes to yell at him. We stripped off, dried off, and changed our clothes while our thief-slash-savior brewed up some tea. "'What's your name?' Brendan asked. "'Call me Red,' Red said, shaking his hair madly with both hands. "'That's what my friends called me, back when I had friends. "'Or maybe you should call me the Red Eel,' he said, doing a snake-like dance. "'That perked my interest.' "'Your Red Eel?' That's the name you gave my island, is it not? I never heard it called that, but since I'm the only person that lives out there, I must be Red Eel. I should have known better than to get excited by anything that madman said. Have you ever seen a Red Eel? Araf asked as Red handed him a cup of tea. There are eels in the lake, but I don't like them. Slimy things they are. I cannot say if I ever saw a red one. Why? That's a long story, I said. Well, then, why don't you tell me on the way over to the island in my boat? Thanks, I said, but no thanks. Hold on a minute, O'Neill, Brendan said, holding up his hand to me like a traffic cop. You have a boat? 
It would be pretty strange of me to offer you a ride in my boat if I didn't have one, don't you think? Everything you do is strange, I said. And one thing is for certain, I'm not getting into a boat with you. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunison. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.